you for joining us again. It's the 10th of June and we're doing a recording this morning on um, the changing sort of landscape with grief, particularly grief in the community around COVID-19. I'm Elise Lang, I'm a GP in Cardiff. I'm also Macmillan GP advisor for Wales and I've got two medical colleagues with me. The first of whom is Dr. Rachel Lee. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, thanks Elise. So um, I'm also a GP in Cardiff and I'm a Macmillan GP advisor for Wales. And secondly, we've got Dr. Fiona Rawlinson. Hi everybody, thanks Elise. So I am GP trained a very long time ago. I'm a consultant in palliative medicine and I'm working in the Cardiff community team with City Hospice. So here we are in June 2020. Things are looking very different to how they were at the beginning of the year. Um, all three of us have quite a lot of experience with palliative care and end of life care in the community. And I know in our practice, at least, we've had several deaths now from um, coronavirus, and that's had impact on the living and, and the surviving family members. Somewhere it's been expected and it, it's, um, it's been a family, an illness, um, and others where it's, it's been unexpected with a COVID death. And that's caused a lot of difficulty, both around grieving, funeral arrangements with social distancing and family numbers and stuff that could be there. And now we're 12 weeks on probably from our first death and those thoughts initially that maybe they could have a delayed celebration of the person's life are still on hold and people are still waiting to have family members together to think about their loved ones. So it's been a very challenging time for primary care. I'd like to ask Dr. Rachel Lee what her feelings have been in the community and her practice. Yeah, thanks, Lise. I think I echo what you're saying. Obviously, grief is a is um, a very different thing at the moment. It's it's um, very hard, much harder to support people because we are not necessarily seeing people face to face. We're having to talk to them over the phone, whereas probably before COVID, we'd go and see them or um, bring them to the surgery so we could talk things through. I think um, people are struggling with grief much more because of the way people have died. It's likely they've been very limited in the visiting they've been able to do, if they're in hospital or certainly in nursing homes. And in fact, in nursing homes, you know, sometimes the relatives haven't been able to see the person who's died. Um, you know, and I think that that causes a very, a very different type of grief and a lot more um, problems for people to try to come to terms with losing their loved ones and again like you say the funerals um, you know it's it's they're very limited very few people can go to them and I think that again is having a very big impact we we did have sort of bereavement support groups um, and peer support within the practice and liaising with our local charity and again there's none of that face-to-face -face support available for people at the moment and certainly we are trying to support people on the phone but you know, I think I think there's a, a big legacy here of ongoing and support needed for people who've lost people during the COVID times. Very, very important points. And I think as well, the thing to remember is that a phone call is only so good, isn't it? And actually even doing what we're doing now with a, with a video call can be useful to be able to see people's faces and reactions and feel more human, particularly for calling people from the practice that we don't know particularly well. Um, it's always important to maybe try and get that video link across if we can and people are open to it, I think. Um, Fiona, obviously you're very experienced with the work you've done with Cardiff University around palliative care, but do you want to fill us in a little bit about what's been happening with grief in the community over the last few months? Yes, thanks Elise. Um, all of what you're saying is absolutely right. 
it's um, dying in COVID times, whether from COVID or from any other condition, has just been really complicated um, for all the reasons that you've said. And in City Hospice, which has a bereavement support team, that's also one of our big adjustments that we've had to make because we too have had coffee mornings, social events to try and bring people together for that peer support. The thing about grief that's important is trying to help people find that inner strength to be able to manage a world which is slightly different. But right at the moment, the world is different for very many reasons. So there's, there's, there's quite a battle, if you like. It's been up to now, working with the bereavement part of City Hospice, it's been up to now um, everybody in the same position. I think what's difficult now, mid-June, is that as lockdown is very slowly in Wales easing, people are just starting to begin to come together again, but not in great numbers. So as you've said, the plans for bigger celebrations are still on hold. But also when you're meeting people again face to face for the first time, you're having to relive an experience that still has not been resolved. And when I say resolved, you could say, well, grief is never resolved. It's more that people's coping mechanisms and strategies for managing the world in which that person isn't are not fully formed because they've not had the time to be able to develop those supports. So there's additional kind of nudges to grief happening at the moment as well. So it's, um, it, it's a, it's a difficult time. It's it's a painful time. People describe things as being they, they feel a physical the physical pain of loss and and in a world where so much is uncertain that can be difficult. It's very difficult for the person, the families. It's also difficult for us as healthcare professionals who are used to being able to feel we're doing something to help and we just have to help in a different way at the moment. Well, I think for those of us who can see you on the screen, you know, even just some of the movements you're doing are showing how difficult it is in two fronts there. So the first one I picked up on was, you know, when, when now people can meet loved ones, um, you know, what would be our reaction ordinarily if someone had been bereaved? It would be to give a hug or, you know, some sort of physical contact to reinforce that feeling that we were with them and supporting them. And then again, you know, they can't do that now, but you, you moved on to say as a, as a health professional, you know, we may well go and do a home visit and offer some physical form of support and and, and showing of emotion um, to support those people. And, and it is a very alien time where we're trying to do that over a call or going around in PPE. And, and it just doesn't feel quite the same human touch that we're used to. Have you got any recommendations, Fiona, in terms of how best we can in primary care and in the community to support people who are bereaved through COVID? I think taking the physical thing first of all and working on screen or working on, on phone or working on PPE it's actually acknowledging the, the difficultness of the situation and and very often when I'm going into a house for example for a visit it's you know I'm really sorry that we have to wear all of this all of this stuff but it's about in communication skills it's about the the tone of your voice it's about the speed of your voice it's about the actually your body language is particularly important because people can't see can't see your face and your smiles or your or your or your somberness but they can see your eyes and they can see very often your forehead um, even through visors and things so just making sure that you are there absolutely in that situation 
so people will be looking at your eyes they will be looking at how your body is so it's it is truly a time where you have to work very hard at, even despite you feeling uncomfortable with all the garb on you have to be physically and mentally present in that space with that person and we can talk a little bit more about that perhaps at another time um but i think i think preparing preparing people for how you're going to look preparing for people that you that saying to people i know this is different but i'm here or i'm on the phone or i'm on this video consultation and i'm sorry that we can't do what we would usually do but how can we help and it's more about trying to turn the conversation not in a patronizing way at all but saying okay well what what can we do can we get the family on zoom can you connect with other people have you got a link into your local church group lots of faith-based groups have seriously taken to zoom in a big way and actually are finding that people are coming back to that network of, of support um so it it's trying to find the small things that that sometimes in the overwhelmingness of the situation you might think oh you know oh, me being ringing is not going to make any difference at all this is just awful that's me thinking as a healthcare professional but every time you make a connection it's a support and it's a support in a world where we can't hug we can't do all the things we we do so so never never underestimate the power of of that one contact whether it's by phone or by zoom or anything and listening and acknowledging that this is that this is that this is difficult asking people what's helped before when you've had a difficult situation before even if they're grieving for the first time when you've had a difficult situation what's helped before difficult thing with that is then if people say oh well meeting my friends and my family but you can say well you can't meet them face to face but can you connect on the phone and sometimes people suddenly think actually yes i have got supports there i just didn't quite recognize them for what they were i've been staggered through the last few weeks how many times you know at the beginning of this i thought you know zoom and and, and platforms that gps now have to contact people remotely via video link you know they're not going to work with our patients we've got so many old patients this is not going to work they don't know how to do it i've been staggered by how often we can make it work and i think it's always important to ask can they make it work so the person who lives alone well actually the carer comes in at midday and the carer can make the call while they're there if we arrange it and contact people that don't plan it so there are ways around it for most people i'm not saying it's going to work for everybody and the times when you do get through you know sometimes their, their skills on using the phone and putting it in quite the right place to see them all rather than their feet or their knee isn't great but it, you know it, it gets there we can talk through it and, and I, I have been impressed with how adaptable and 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 open to the use of these these options that that every generation has been really um obviously they're trying to keep away from us in the main as well and not wanting to come in um and i suspect in in rachel's surgery as well she's felt that 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 the the emptiness of the surgery really that people aren't there particularly with grieving um rachel i imagine some of fiona's points about the community you you could echo with your work in ely i know there's a lot of community work goes on down there is there anything you would like to add yeah i mean i completely agree and i think the other big impact is that you know it might be a couple and one of them has died and the other is completely on their own like fiona was saying they've got no contact with anyone else they're, they may be shielding i've certainly got a few patients like that and they're suddenly they're not only having to deal with the fact that they're on their own they've also lost their companion 
Um, what we're trying to do in Ely, we're working with our local charity, ACE, and we're, we're sort of finding these people and we're, we're giving them friendship calls. So once a week we're getting, you know, one of the volunteers from ACE is giving them a call and it's just that human contact, I think, um, you know, just to know that somebody's there. We're also actually looking to see if we can set up again the virtual, a virtual peer support for bereavement. And I think what we found is it's not necessarily the specialised counselling that's needed, it's just support from people who understand, perhaps people who've gone through a, a similar thing, maybe a few months before. Um, you know, I found a lot of people who've gone through grief feel quite isolated because other people don't understand and they don't want to burden people. And I think that's really important to try and set that up. And if we can do that virtually, it, you know, it's a start. And I think having some visual contact as well as voice contact will will enhance that and will help but um yeah certainly in, locally we are trying to do what we can to sort of keep in contact with people so they know they're not on their own and not very very isolated i i agree completely and echo those feelings with my, my practice as well the first two covid deaths we had both in hospital were both um gentlemen and i was struck with conversations i had subsequently with both the wives of each respective person that um how stoical they were at the time just so accepting there's a bad thing going on in the world at the moment and that's happened to us um and i do wonder how that has changed 12 weeks on and how that will look in 12 weeks time and how that will look in 12 months time and i'd like to sort of pick up with fiona on that now and, and i guess the other thing that i've benefited from when when having experience of fiona's conversation skills training is the use of silence which has always felt slightly strange and awkward as the professional using silence, but has been so powerful to allow the family to, to have that time to have all those thoughts run through their head. And as a professional, you're sort of thinking, should I speak, should I speak? But, it, but it's really a very useful thing. And I wonder, is silence as useful now, Fiona, with a face mask on? Does that still work as well as, as you've always advocated in the past? Um, Elise, thank you. Yes, silence does work. Um, because you working silence with a face mask you're actually working your body as well as not saying anything so so if you have if you have generated a calm persona and you are calm and still as the healthcare professional the the the, the question the open question that you ask it could be something like you know tell me tell me a little bit how things are at the moment or it could be reflecting back you know I can I can hear that things are difficult but it's how you say that I can hear that things are difficult and then stop and that's usually for me a really useful phrase because then if you're calm and still and you've asked that sort of a question then very often there's silence I find it more difficult on a phone um, because you've not got the visual cues of the person in front of you, even on a video screen. But it does still work. What you might find, because we're all working with different sort, different groups of people, different sorts of healthcare professionals, because teams have redeployed and rearranged. And so sometimes if you're working with somebody or you're visiting with somebody that you've not worked with before, it's useful to warn them that actually there may be moments in this consultation when actually I'm quiet and that's because I want to I want to hear what the most important thing is what usually happens with silence is that what comes into it is usually 
the most important thing that the person is thinking about or if it seems a completely random answer which doesn't quite relate to what was happening before then for me that's a sign of okay there's something big and deep going on here that this person is is not ready to talk about it i wonder if i could just say one thing about grief itself can i can i just do that i think it's useful to think about what's happening now with grief in the context of a uncomplicated grief reaction and I think what's difficult is that so many more people have experienced grief for the first time or uh, for, for the first sort of couple of times unexpectedly without the preparation of having the conversation, advanced care planning, knowing what people's wishes are. That they're, they're seeking kind of affirmation of what's normal grief. And I think the really difficult thing is that grief is grief grief is trying to adjust to a world where that person is not anymore um, and it's an adjustment it is what it says it is it doesn't happen overnight the, the suddenly waking up to a, oh yes I'm all right with this that's not going to happen it takes it takes practice um, and some of the older models of grief were very helpful the Kubler-Ross stages of grief was very helpful in understanding the emotional response but sometimes the older models are a little bit too stepwise you go through the bargaining and you go through anger and you go through denial and then it's all over and in the real world grief is much more muddly it's you're doing four or five different things at once you may feel fine in the morning and you may be very very sad very tearful in the afternoon you may feel guilty at feeling happy for a bit of the day and oh i'm not sure that's right but the more recent models of grief are, are are just how do you adjust to a world where the person is not and it's accepting that that loss has happened and accepting that that's a big change and then it's working out okay so we've had this big change I'm here how can I keep on how can I keep on going there are two authors really helpful one is William Morden who talks about tasks of grief and the other is there's something called the dual process model by people called Strober and Schutt. But if you look at dual process, dual, dual process model, it talks about that some in a part of the day we might be thinking more about the loss, and then another part we might talk about restoring. They call it restoration. How can I go on in a world where that other person isn't? And in the very early days of grief, it's difficult. And what COVID has done with people not being able to be there, effectively we've got a whole group of people who've had sudden unexpected loss and by definition that's complicated because people have not had time before the death happened to adjust to the fact that it's going to happen and that's why it's particularly complicated. I think just to take a bit of reflection on what we've said really, I mean it, it, if it's so complicated now what should primary care, community care, how, what are people doing? What could we do for what we anticipate to be quite a high volume of grief, perhaps mental health problems over the coming months and years um, for people who were bereaved through COVID? Has anyone had any experience or seen any work going on that would be something we could start to roll out on a larger scale across Wales to support people? I suspect a lot of them are sort of the techniques and that we've already discussed, such as group work and, and video calls and things like that. But I just wonder if anyone's got any other ideas that we might want to just add for the last couple of minutes. Rachel, anything you're aware of? 
Um, I mean, I think just to say that we are aware of it, as in the health board is very much recognising that there, this is something that's going to need to be addressed and in the how we carry on with COVID-19 and how we live with it, this is a big part of the planning. There needs to be a big support for, for this, this need for bereavement support. Um, but yes, at the moment, I don't think there's any firm concrete plans. You know, I think it's still, as I was saying, the peer support groups, but I think there's a need for a more robust sort of counselling type support service. Yeah, no, I've seen advertised on social media, City Hospice's call for um, people wider of Cardiff income, Tap and Bridge End can approach the counselling. And the question I'll put you on the spot now, I'd have probably asked you offline, but is that available for people who don't have a, a cancer death or, or an end of life experience with a hospice? That they could tap into as well or is that service just available for people who have been open to the hospice when the patient was you know any hospice when the patient was alive no at the moment that's a service that's a service for all and very much um putting toe in the water to see what the need is thinking thinking planning ahead so so in anticipation of a a greater volume of need for counseling um, little things are starting to happen. So on, there are quite a number of web-based resources now, kind of geared towards mental health and well-being, really, to try to help people develop some of those mental health resilience skills, if you like, um, on on how on how to keep going, how to keep going when you are very anxious, very sad, very low, when you're grieving, when you're missing people. Um, so the Mind website. Um, there's a there's a call C-A-L-L website that's locally Wales based. The cruise website has got some very, very good, very, very helpful information on what's different about grief in a pandemic. But I think there's 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 two areas to this. There's one is is trying to help people develop those mental resilience skills and they take practice, but they are life skills and they will be useful for all sorts of situations in the future. I think that there is a need for us to, if it doesn't sound too awful a thing to say, learn from the COVID experience. So all the previous conversations we've had, and I'm sure we're going to revisit over the next few weeks around the need for advanced or future care planning, the need for people, even if they feel well, you know, have you talked with your nearest and dearest about just supposing something happens? What would I want? How do I feel? Have I told people I love them? Have I written letters? Have I talked to my children in far-flung corners of the world? So actually the need for a bit of kind of family mental health and well-being and family check-ins um, I think is also quite important. I think COVID has brought um, the role of advanced care planning in being one small step in trying to make grief less complicated right into the forefront and that is what advanced and future care planning should be doing it should be helping those who are going to be left behind have a more usual grief process rather than having additional complications as we've said grief is grief we can't make grief anything other than grief there has been a loss and one needs to adjust to the fact that the loss has happened but moving forward now for families we don't know what the virus is going to do we don't know whether it's going to come back but for those of us who are alive now healthcare professionals or not for those of us who are alive now I think there are 
there are little things that we can start doing now to help in case it happens to us. Um, that doesn't help those, of course, who have been so affected. And, and I think it, it, the, I think, I think as Rachel said, as we've all said, this is a big thing that's going to happen. So we need to be ready for it. Thank you. I think we'll, we'll sort of try to close that. I think that's left the door open for a future conversation, hasn't it? And, and actually where I was asking, what could we do to help with grief going forward? And whilst that's still a big thing we need to deal with it and we have to work with in primary care, I think you've raised a very valid point there that the percentage of our patients who are currently grieving is less than the percentage that might be grieving later on in the year or at any other given time. And actually some of those advanced care plans and conversations to prepare all of us really are, are going to be essential and, and more valuable than ever. Any closing comments from, from Rachel there? Oh, just to say thank you, Fiona. Great advice already. You know, it's, um, it's reassuring to know that even by ringing people, you can make a difference. Um, so yeah, I think more things can make a big difference. So thank you for your advice. I'd echo those points as well. Yes, Fiona, thank you ever so much. Anything more that you would like to close with i think it's all it's all about us all working as a team and collaborating together so you know ev everybody's got a role to play the hospitals have a role to play in trying to help people through this particular they call it a journey i'm not sure i like the word but i can't i can't at the moment think of a better one um, but everybody has a role to play it's, it's our, our mental well-being our communities our patients mental well-being is everybody's business so so everybody can do something but it's all it's it's really important to be talking together well thank you thank you to both of you and and thank you to the listener for your time today and we hope to see you again soon goodbye